Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to have you here. You were singing like you believed it this morning. I love that. We could feel it right down front. Thank you. That was just incredible worship. Aren't you glad you got out of bed and came down this morning? Yeah, so good to have you in the room. A couple of things I just want to remind you. Young adults, uh, we mentioned to you that we have a special meeting for you. started last Sunday night. Tonight's a big kickoff, so if you're a young adult, last week they were serving shawarma. Now that's enough reason for me to dial back my age and join them. But uh, I can't guarantee you the shawarma's tonight, but I can guarantee you're going to have an incredible time. That's going to be 6 o'clock here at the church, and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, Two things I do want to share with you just before we jump into the message today. Uh, I sent an e-newsletter out. If you're not getting those, make sure you sign up for those to give you updates on what's taking place. Because of your generosity, we were able to send $60,000 to Ilya and Janet Bansiev in Siberia. They bought the church building. So they own the church building. Oh, it gets better. It just gets better. They met together when it was 45 below without... That's not counting windshield. That was 45 below. So Canada's not so bad right now. We're pretty good. I got a, I got a newsletter, or a, actually an email, personal email from Ilya this week, and he wanted to, me to thank the church for the generosity. He goes, but God is so amazing. Not only did God provide the building... He said, but we were going to have our first communion service in the building. And he said, and when we plan to go there, we have no furnishing yet. It's concrete walls. We just have the structure. We have some heat. It was good. And he goes, and so we show up. We didn't know how many people were coming. He said, on the way there, a school had thrown out some of the chairs because they got a new shipment in. They stopped and picked them up, took the chairs to the church, set them up, 95 chairs. Do you want to know how many people showed up for the communion service? 95 people. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I love that. So I was going to write back and say, you should have picked up 150 chairs. That's what you should have. So be it according to your faith. No, amazing. I love how God provides. It's fantastic. So be sure to sign up for the newsletters because you get all those updates, and I want you to hear them firsthand even before we hit a Sunday. And depending on the weeks, you'll get that information early. The other one, I hope you got the first video that's promoting our upcoming anniversary weekend. That went out yesterday. And if you didn't get that, check your email, check your junk folder. Please don't have a filter that says Doug is junk. So check your junk folder, make sure it's not in there. And if you're not getting them and you're pretty tech savvy, you can just sign up. You can go to bit.ly slash 2019 This Is Us. That easy. bit.ly slash 2019 This Is Us. All of our videos that are going to be promoting our upcoming anniversary weekend. You're going to see faces and names and stories. We're using video. We're going to use text. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. So we want you to watch for that. Make sure you do that. We'll get your Bibles out. We're going to kick off a brand new series this morning. We had a tremendous impact through our breakthrough series. Thank you to the many of you that sent emails in. And if you have stories, send them in. We're still 
just celebrating God's faithfulness through the entire breakthrough series. Some of you are still praying into that breakthrough, but I believe this year God's doing something amazing in our church. And I have a real spirit of anticipation. This is going to be an exciting year. And we're going to pick up on that. And this morning, our series that we're moving into, Dare to be Different, Living Your Life on Purpose, is actually going to build on this. And so we want to get into this today, and I want to spend a little bit of time exploring this because I really believe that for a lot of us, we have seriously underestimated the life that God has called us to and the capacity that we have as individuals. And I want you to discover through the course of this series that you are created for something much greater than what you've ever dreamed possible. Now, some of you, you're living out on that edge. You're on that cusp, and you understand exactly what I'm speaking about. But the majority of us often don't quite get to the level, and there's always this internal feeling, I I feel like I should be created for more. So just a couple of questions I want you to think about. Are we simply designed to live this one life that we have, this temporal life that we experience right now outside of eternity, just to be born and raised in hopefully a loving home, to be able to go to school and graduate, and for some, maybe to go to university and college, and then get a job that we earn just enough money to be able to pay the bills and have a few family and some friends around us, and maybe by the time we get towards the end of our life that we've lived a rather healthy, successful life, and then wishing that the government's going to support us in our retirement years. Is that the dream? I don't think so. I don't think that's how God created us. I don't believe that that was the life that we were destined to live. Now, I'm going to test your memory, some of you. Do do any of you remember a little children's prayer, the bedtime prayer, now I lay me down to sleep? Okay, help me out here, okay? Now? Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. That prayer has gone nowhere. So... It's okay. Not embarrassed, right? We're going to pray. And I'm going to help you so we're good in this. So let's pray together. Because some of you, I remember praying this with my mom, kneeling beside my bed, all right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And some would say, keep. Now, talk about freaking out little kids, you know, if I die before I wake. But anyhow, we never really thought about it at that age. And you go, Doug, what's... What's that got to do with living your life on purpose? Interesting. Tony Campola tells a story when he was in graduate school. Many of you know the name Tony. But when he was back in graduate school, he was studying, and one of those courses was in Chinese philosophy. And the Buddhist monk who was teaching the course caught Tony at the end of one of his classes. Tony was a young student learning and studying philosophy. And he looked at Tony, and he said, You Christians teach your children to pray wrong. And Tony said, what? And he said, well, you you teach them to pray if I should die before I wake. He said, you should be teaching them to pray if I should wake before I die. And Tony went, wow. And the monk went on to explain. He said, I observe people, and most people are living their life half asleep or either half awake. But nobody's really fully alive. And the more I thought about that statement, I thought, that's powerful. Because so often what we do is we go through life, and and let's be honest, many people around us, they just feel like they're just barely making their way through life, they're half asleep through life, and then when you do go to bed, you you never really get a good sleep. You're, You're just praying, oh God, let me sleep through the night so I can have a full rest. And I just wonder, is this how we're supposed to be living our lives? There's so much more that I think we're destined to live, and there's so much more potential. Here's a question I want you to ask. When is the last time that you felt fully 
alive. What were you doing in that moment when you can remember that at that experience, life was exploding, everything inside of you, you're going, I know there's something bigger than me, and I know that this is what God has created me for. When's the last time you can remember being absolutely fully alive? I wonder how many of us, our memories are simply recollections of mediocrity. We think back over our life and we go, well, that was nice, but it wasn't about being fully alive. Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you discover why you were born. Interesting. Why are you here? What is your purpose in life? The starting point for our life must always be God's purposes for our life. What has God called me to? We're so tempted and we're so channeled into succumbing to the mind-numbing dissonance in our culture that seeks to blend us into the mass and remove our individual uniqueness. And yet God knows us individually. He says, I know the hair on your head. He says, I know everything about you. You are an individual to me. You're gifted individually. You are uniquely mine. Living on purposes, recognizing that God has a calling on our life, that God's call for my work and my career and my occupation and my employment, that's not my vocation in itself. That's just part of it. My gifts, my abilities, my personality, everything around me, the friends that I have, all of that is the vocation into which God has placed my life and your life. He has you distinctly called because he wants you to live your life on purpose. So what are you doing with the vast wealth of resource God has given you? What are you doing with all the life experience that you've accumulated and all the gifts and skills and abilities that you have and the circle of friends and the power of influence that God has given to you? What are you doing with your life? It's the same question I ask myself. We're called to live lives of significance. We're called to live our lives on purpose that when we wake up in the morning that we don't just stumble out of bed, but we actually get out of bed with this fresh awareness just as we were worshiping a few moments ago that God has breathed his breath into my soul and into my spirit. And the day that I live, I get to live this day for God and everything about my life, God is already tuned towards his purpose if I'm alive to it. But a lot of us, we're going to go through tomorrow half asleep. And we're going to miss the opportunities that God is putting right in front of our path. And so my prayer through the series that we're about to experience and we're about to spend the next couple of weeks on is that we would become alive to who God is in our life and that we would attune ourselves towards the gifts and abilities and skills and the people that we have, that we would embrace the purpose for our lives. Now, some of you have already signed off. You go, that's really good for those young guys, Doug. You get them out there. You get those 25 to 35-year-olds I don't find retirement anywhere in the Bible. Do you? Nope. We either wear out or God takes us out. That's kind of how it is, isn't it? So I look at this and I go, there's no permissioning ourselves out of the opportunity to live my life on purpose. In fact, I love meeting some of the more senior folks who still understand. You know, we have somebody in our church that he's just one of my heroes. Some of you know Jerry and Grace Lang. You can't nail these people down. Like Jerry, every time he has an opportunity, Jerry is off to the mission field again. He goes, I just want to go serve. I want to go build a house. I want to go lead. I want to go instruct. Jerry, he should be playing checkers somewhere. I mean, he's that age now. I'm sorry, Jerry, if you're in the room. I'm in big, big trouble. But I love his... He's in Africa right now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's already gone again. I'm safe. Oh, no, he's watching online. Sorry, Jerry. I love this guy because he walks through the foyer and he hands me a pamphlet three weeks ago. Uh, Here I am. I'm going again. Pray for me. 
This is a man, this is a woman who understands that life is greater than just the calling to serve and employment. This is a man who recognizes that God's wired him up and gifted him to do something unique. And they took risks, and they're still taking risks, to live their life on purpose. So every day for them is not about waiting till the day that they die. It's waiting to live again in this day. That's what living your life on purpose is. So what does tomorrow look like for you? What are you thinking about for tomorrow? Most of us are going, oh man, I've got to go to work tomorrow. But what if, what if God placed you where you are so that his kingdom could explode into that workplace so that your coworker, your boss, your employees, whoever you're collaborating with, the university campus that you attend, the college that you go to, the classroom of students that you just wish those parents would discipline once in a while that you're leading out, what, is it, it, what if God placed you there because he goes, you're my kingdom come on earth right now in that environment? Friends, all of us in the room own this. All of us have this potential to make a difference. And it's easy to go, well, Doug, that's your job. That's why we hired you. You get up there and dance, buddy. You're the pastor. You make this kingdom stuff work, right? Don't nod your head right now. No, we're in this together. We have opportunity. Ephesians 4 tells me, way off my notes, we're into teaching equipping gifts because we want everybody to be in this journey together. I want you to dream for a moment. Just dream. When is the last time you felt fully alive? When is the last time that you felt so infused with the power and the life of the Spirit in you that you, I just can't wait to share this with somebody? Because this is what the Spirit of God is doing in us. Because I do believe, and I hold to this firmly, it's not just a breakthrough series we went through. I believe it's a breakthrough year because God wants to do something great in our church. And as we come up on our 50th anniversary, I'm not looking to put a plaque on the wall. I'm looking to drive a stake towards the future that says more campuses, more opportunity, more people finding their way back to God, more, more, and more of us engaged in what it is to live our life on purpose. One of my dearest heroes is Mama Forrester. Right down here, you guys get the benefit of every first service hearing her yell and champion. People go, she's not your mom. Well, you tell her that. I love it when we know why God has wired us up. Let's go back to our notes so you're not going home today. Here we are. I look at the Bible. I share with you. I get into my life journal readings with all of you, and I open up the scriptures. And every day when I start doing my life journal reading, here's what leaps off the pages for me. Every day I read these stories. And I don't simply read the account of what God is doing in this world. I read the stories of men and women and young people who dared to believe that their lives were supposed to be different, that they could live their life on purpose. People like Abraham, people like David, like Solomon, like Deborah, like Mary, like Joseph, like Anna, like Simeon. Populated all through the scriptures. Why do we have this? God showing us the, pe- the picture of people who have gone before us who understood that we have this passionate calling from God, that we get to live our lives on purpose. And that if we understand who God is and how God has gifted us, that our lives would never be mediocre, but our lives will be magnificent because we're following the impulse of the Spirit. And you go, Doug, but I'm a mom. I stay at home. Did you know that those kids that you're raising right now, if you're staying at home, you're my hero as well because you're shaping and framing the lives of future world leaders. How would my mother have ever known in a little village of 200 people in southern Alberta that she would shape the character of her son who God would call into ministry one day and lead him on a journey where he'd meet somebody named Laura, they would get married and move into the circles of influence that he's taken us to. It blows my mind. I still don't understand how God brought us to where we are. Your story's no different, how you got there. 
So we get to live lives of significance, lives on purpose, and we don't allow the barriers in our lives to block us from what God is wanting to do. We talked about this. We don't let the storms blur us from what God is going to do. So I see the stories of people, and I realize that God wants to do something significant. And I'm going to ask again because I just feel this in here. Are you living your life on purpose? Or are you simply just looking for those final few years where you go, now I can put my feet up and now I can rest? I've seen far too many people hit those years and everything just disintegrated as soon as they hit those years. So there is no age limitation. You could be six or you might be 86. Welcome to God's adventure because he's got us on one. And you can be different at every age of your life. And you can be just like Nehemiah. So I'm going to spend a few weeks with you in the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to show you how to live your life on purpose. All good? Get your Bibles out. Let's go there. Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to have a look. Because I want to extract from this man's life. I've been waiting so long to get into this book to preach it with you. Because I love his story. Nehemiah had plenty of reasons to blend in and play it safe. If you think about his story, this man was born into captivity. He was Jewish. He was born into captivity. He had every reason to keep his head down and play it safe. He had every reason to blend in and not make a disturbance. In fact, let's go to a little image here. Many of you wonder how the story fits on a timeline. Let me show you the timeline. Can we have that up on the side screen and we'll just look at this together? This is in the B.C. period. You'll see this here, 400, 500, Up at 600 B.C., Top line, you see that yellow uh, notation, the deportation in 605. That's when Israel's already gone into captivity, and this is when Judah goes into captivity, 605 B.C. All the way down towards the right-hand side, on the bottom, you'll see where it says Nehemiah 446. Everybody see this? All right. So what you have, and by the way, a little sidebar, if you look at this, you'll notice in there, just to the left of Nehemiah, you see where Esther is made queen in 480 B.C.? Many of you wonder how she fits into the whole picture. This is all during the period of captivity. So they've gone into captivity. God has already prophesied. They're not going to stay there forever. They're coming back. 70 years of captivity, you're going to be released and come back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. There's been two wave of exiles that have come back through Zerubbabel and Ezra, come back into the land. Queen Esther, of course, comes into prominence. And there's a whole story of Queen Esther saving the Jewish people from annihilation from the man by the name of Haman. See, God works all through history. God works through our lives for his purposes. That's why I say living our life on purpose, dare to be different. You get down to the time of Nehemiah and you look at this, it's been 150 years since the first wave of people have been going back into the land of Israel. And when we read his story, we can miss the urgency of what God is about to do with this man. He could have kept his head down. Nehemiah was born into captivity, Jewish slave serving the Persian king. He actually had not a bad job. He was a cupbearer to the king. He had a place of influence. He had a place of comfort. He had a place of provision. He had everything that most of us in job, we would go, that's not a bad job. We often read about it and we go, well, cupbearer to the king, isn't he the guy that samples the the drink first and if he's going to die? Well, that could happen. That's true. But he was also privy to the court. That meant he was the one who determined who was able to come in and speak to the king. He was the one who had the conversation and had the ear of the king. This is a man who moved in influential circles So if there's anything Nehemiah could have chosen to do, he could have said, no, I'm not going to disturb my life. It's pretty good. Because there was enough band of people between him and those who would want to assassinate a king that he could live a fairly comfortable life and not have to worry about living his life on purpose. But I want to show you what happens. He refuses to live this way. Turn in your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 1. Go down to verse 1. 
And here's what we find. The Bible says this. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah, and I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah writes these words, and when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. He wasn't weeping over the conditions that happened 150 years ago. His brother, many scholars believe it was actually from his own family lineage. His brother comes back. And he tells him about the deplorable conditions that the people are living in disgrace. Yes, they'd gone back and rebuilt the temple. Yes, they were building their homes. But there was outside persecution. There was social injustice. There was all kinds of harm facing the people. And the city wall had not been rebuilt. And in ancient days, if a city didn't have a wall, it was defenseless. And if Jerusalem, as God had declared it to be, would be the center of his presence, Nehemiah understood something about his faith and his ancestry. God's name is disgraced because the city is in ruins. And we need to do something about that. And so here's a man who came in to encounter two things. The two most important days of his life, the day that he was born into captivity in Persia, and the day he understood why he was born. He sat down and he wept because God put a burden on his heart that he could dare to be different than everybody else around him. And he goes through a process of discovering his life's purpose. I'm going to give you four principles. We're going to do it in three minutes, and you're going to have your heads blown off before we're done. How's that? Okay, here we go. All right, get your notes out. Let's have some fun. Uh, no, we have, we have a little more time than that. I want to give you four keys to discovering your life's purpose. Write them down. Get into your growth groups. You need to talk about this because I can't unpack it all, but I want to give you as much as I can. Number one, identify a need that resonates with you. Identify a need that resonates with you. The word that I want you to write underneath, if you want one word, observation. Learn to keep your eyes open. See what's going on around you. Tommy Barnett built one of the fastest growing churches in Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Assembly of God, First Assembly of God. It's now called the Dream Center Church. The one key to his success, he said it over and over and over with his church, and he said it over and over at leadership seminars. If you see a need, meet it. That's all he preached. And so people would come to him and say, you know, pastor, here's what we need to be doing. He said, well, what's the need? And the people would tell him the need. He goes, great, go meet it. And they go, well, no, I just told you what the need was. And he goes, yeah, but God showed you that need, not me. Go meet it. It's always easier to see a need and say, somebody else, you go meet it. Here I am, Lord, send them. But that's not what the Bible says. Here I am, send me. And Tommy understood something, as Nehemiah understood, that you need to identify the need that resonates with you. And when you identify a need that resonates with you, God is stirring something in you. See, we're all wired up differently, and what moves me towards compassion and response is going to be really different than what moves you. Some of you are going to be moved by social justice, and some of you are going to be moved by the slavery. Some of you are going to be moved by business opportunities. Some of you think about entrepreneurial pathways. Some of you think about adoption and opportunities there, and some of you think about the orphans and the need in the orphans. Whatever that need is, God stirred you and gifted you for a passion and a purpose because you can speak and bring life into a situation that is advancing the kingdom of God that nobody else can bring. You have unique circles of friends who can influence that with you. 
But so often we want to hand that away. And I love when I look at the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah listens to his brother's report and all of a sudden you see something. There's this holy discontent. If you've been to the GLS, you know what we talk about, the Global Leadership Summit. There's a holy discontent that grips your spirit and you go, I can't let this go. And the reason for that is God's tapping you on the shoulder going, you can do something about that. You can't change it all. But you can do something. And so when you see a need and you identify a need, you have to understand that you are the one that God is touching on the shoulder. You can do something about that. William and Catherine Booth saw the need of the impoverished children on the street in England. And so moved to conviction, they began to reach out and to take care of them. And that grew into what became the Salvation Army because a couple realized that these kids were in desperate need of hope and somebody needed to do something. Mother Teresa didn't start off to change the world the way that she did, but she saw the poorest of the poor and she said, I can do something about that. I'm going to step into that world. Billy Graham understood that he wasn't gifted in the same way as other communicators and other leaders. He wasn't called to be a pastor of a church, but he had a passion to speak salvation messages to people and God raised him up and empowered him, gave him a world platform unlike any others. Nobody else was supposed to be him. He was to be him. God always calls us to be uniquely who we are, and he gifts us according to that. Nancy and Serge Versaglio, they just saw a need, and they decided to meet it. Well, who are they? Well, Nancy and Serge happen to be global workers with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and they're partners with us. And in Nancy's words, all we did was we saw a need, and we thought, hey, we can do something about the orphan and the at-risk children in Africa, so we want to do something about that. Watch their story. We want to go where there's a need. And then we like to place ourselves in the middle of that need and, and we like to partner with a local church while we do that. Because at the core of everything that we're doing is always to make sure that Christ's love is being shown. And that the children, as well as the people in the community, understand that we're here because God loves them and we love them too. Both Serge and I were impacted by what we'd seen. We'd never seen that kind of extreme poverty and in such huge numbers. They estimated at that time between 40 and 60,000 children alone, never mind the adults, living in the surrounding areas. Most of them clearly weren't going to school. Many clearly weren't well or weren't maybe getting the nutrition they needed. We both felt that we would like to do something maybe that could make a difference. We provide schooling. We have clinics, uh, we have feeding programs, and we have children's homes. We provide all of those things free of charge, and uh, as I said, we do it in an environment of, of God's love. They understand that we're not an orphanage. They understand that we actually are evangelism in many ways in the truest sense, because when these kids see what what's being done for them because of God's love. And they're, they're early on in life being given the opportunity to invite Jesus into their hearts. That's, that's pure Christianity. That's pure religion. We were given $1,200 cash and told, there you go, dream big. So, and we really laugh about that now because it's amazing to see what God did with just that little bit of seed money. We still, after 18 years, are amazed at 
the things that are happening in the ministry in all of the villages of hope. They just saw a need and they decided to meet it. Did you know that every time you give at the church, every time you make a donation to our church, you're actually partnering with the Brasaglios? We give right off the top of all of our giving to make sure that we partner together. We're helping them meet a need that nobody else was able to step up and meet. And the beautiful part of this is when you see the need and it begins to resonate with you, you can't do anything else but respond to it. So we've sent, many of you have gone on our short-term missions teams and you've actually been to Tanzania and you recognize some of the faces on that video. That's an amazing part of what it is to advance God's kingdom. God's calling us to change the very face of our world and he's calling all of us that we can partner in this together. What's that, what's that inner holy discontent? What's that inner need that just resonates with you? And if you don't have that, Pray about it because God's already placed you in an environment and an opportunity where I believe it's available. But what Nehemiah did is he showed us something. We need to be observant. We need to watch what's going on around us. It would have been easy for him when his brothers came back from Jerusalem, just carry on with the king's business. Mind my own business. Keep my head down. Earn my income. Celebrate my life. Forget about the need. But there's something in the spirit that goes, this is wrong. This is not what God has called us to. And God's name is going to be made great on this earth. And Nehemiah stepped up. And friends, that's what we're called to do as a church. I believe that we are an extremely diverse, multicultural, multi-campus community. Not so that we can put a label over our church, but I'm, I'm going to say what I said when I first came here. I believe that God is bringing the nations of the world here because he is preparing many of you to go back to the nations of the world to change them for God's kingdom's glory. That he didn't bring us here to be comfortable. He brought us here to prepare. And as we get prepared we step out and we begin to do great kingdom advancement. Are you with me? Okay, a little quiet. We'll get you there in five weeks. Here we go. Number two, write it down. Seek to understand God's perspective on the need. Identify a need that resonates with you. Number two, seek to understand God's perspective on the need. If you want to write a single word down, write down the word preparation. What happens with Nehemiah is of paramount importance. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, here's what we read. Nehemiah said, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven Here is a very, very vital piece of information here. Nehemiah did not react to the news. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a difference between responding and reacting. Reacting is a move of fear. What am I going to lose? What do I have to give up? What is going to change about my future? But responding is rooted in faith where we begin to take time to understand, God, what are you doing and what are you preparing and what are you planning and what's my role in this picture? And he enters into the season of preparation. And I love that he shares with us very candidly. And he said, for days, for days, I wept and I fasted and I prayed and I mourned over the condition. So many of us, we see a need and the first thing we do is we move in impulse and we move too quickly. And we actually can undermine what it is that God's about to do. He didn't quit his job. He didn't go out and rally a bunch of people and go, let's raise a bunch of money. We're going to send money back over and we're going to rebuild the walls. He understood something, that if God was stirring his heart towards movement, that there needed to be a season of preparation, that he needed to get his heart into the place where God's heart was, that his heart was breaking for the things that God's heart was breaking for. And preparation is all about aligning our heart with God's perspective. 
So he takes time to be broken for the very things that were breaking the heart of God. And instead of moving out in his passion and his initiative, he begins to move forward in preparation in God's passion and his initiative. And when we get God's perspective on the need and we've identified what that need is, that's when we're ready to begin to move forward. So when you begin to prepare, you take time and you allow yourself. You know what I find very interesting is when God goes to speak to Moses... Remember, the Israelites were captive in Egypt, and God goes to reach Moses. He has a little conversation with him, and he reveals something. Because Moses is having a dialogue about the condition of the people and why should he be the one that goes back. And God said four things to him. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, and I am now coming down to rescue them. God allowed a season of preparation in his own planning before he stepped in to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. Friends, when God gives you a need in your life, he'll take you into a season of preparation, just like Nehemiah. And the, the immediate impulse is going to be, I need to react and run out and do something. And what we need to do is I need to get before the presence of God and go, God, what's this all about? Why do I feel this way? What's taking place? And he begins to weep and mourn and fast and pray because he understood something, that things in his country, his ancestral home, were not as they should be. And he couldn't ignore it. But he didn't want to move ahead of the hand of God. He wanted to move in concert with God. Number three, write this down. Move forward with humility. Move forward with humility. This is the whole area of identification. Nehemiah prays, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. Watch now. I confess the sins that we Israelite, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted wickedly towards you. When I talk about moving forward with humility, here's what I want you to notice. When Nehemiah heard about the condition in Jerusalem, he was intuitive enough to understand that the condition of the walls, the destruction and the disgrace of the people were not the issue. They were symptoms of a root issue. And as he spent time weeping and fasting and praying before God, God moves his heart to begin to understand something. That Nehemiah, the reason that Jerusalem looks the way that it looks is because the people had been unfaithful to me. And they were in exile because of their unfaithfulness. It would have been easy for him to raise the money and immediately go out and get a group of people and rebuild the walls and throw the stones back into place. That's not a hard thing to do. It's a whole different thing to move your heart towards getting reconciliation and restoration and repentance before God and saying, God, we need to get our hearts right with you. And this identification moving forward with humility, this is really, really important. Nehemiah didn't move out saying, look what those people did, and I'm going to go fix that. That would have been arrogance. Nehemiah said, God, I'm, I'm one of them. I maybe didn't cause it in the first place, but I live in a broken society. I'm part of a broken group of people, and we're part of a nation of people who's turned their back against you. God, I'm one of them. And while I may not have been the one who committed the first act of unfaithfulness, I have been born into this family, and I will own it as my own. And people will follow humble leaders. People will follow individuals who don't stand up in arrogance and say, I'm going to do it my way, and we see the contrast with Pharaoh. But Nehemiah stands up, and he goes, God... I'm just not the worthy one because in all humility, we've sinned before you. So you see this sense of identification and moving forward in humility. Before you can do great things for God, you need to be on your knees before God. God will use you greatly if you can be humble in his presence. And when God sees humility and ownership and confession, God can raise you up in ways that you've never dreamed possible. 
That's why I've always loved you. You've heard me say it over and over and over. The, the verse that just drives me is when John the Baptist just says to Jesus about Jesus' coming, he goes, he must become greater, I must become less. Friends, if we could get ourselves out of the way, God could do amazing things through our lives. If we can walk forward in humility, God can do powerful things. All right, number four, write this down. Embrace your life's purpose. Embrace your life's purpose. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11 He prays this, O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. And if you want a single word, write down the word expectation. Expectation. This is the moment where you begin to boldly embrace the purpose for which you were called. Here's what Nehemiah understood. He realized that he was cupbearer to the king, not by coincidence, but he was there in providence. God had him there because he understood that the king would have resource available that Nehemiah was going to need. See, God already knows how to pull all these pieces together. He's just looking for people that will dare to be different and will live their life on purpose. And I love how he prays. He said, number one, God, grant me success. So you notice he owned this. He didn't say, God, find somebody to do that. He goes, grant me success. And he goes, and then turn the heart of the king towards favorable towards me. Do you realize that God can change the hearts of people that are in opposition to you? That God can change the heart of people that are resistant towards his kingdom purposes? That God has his power, and when we line our lives up with what God's purpose is for our lives, and we're humble before him, God can fulfill the prayer of our heart towards his greater kingdom purposes purposes. And I love this. Why would Nehemiah expect God to raise up anyone else other than himself when he had the capacity and he felt the pulse of the need in his own spirit? Henry Blackaby, great quote, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. We don't choose, but God says, if you're humble, I'll choose you and you can come do great things for me. I want you to dare to live differently this year. Live your life on purpose. Feel what it is to be fully alive. Now, we're going to unpack so much more over the next six weeks, so don't miss any of this, because I want you to understand what God can do, no matter who you are, when you'll yield yourself to him. So can I pray for you? So as you close your eyes, I want you to listen to a simple prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should wake before I die, I pray the Lord to show you why. So Father, our time is now. Help us to break free from lives of mediocrity. Help us to understand the purpose that you've called us to, how we can be different, and help all of us to begin to live our lives on purpose. Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.